broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him, and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics. How is your roar? How is your duck shooting? I'd like to say I didn't get out as much as I would like. You know, Stephen, the host of The Hunting Show, didn't get out and do a whole lot of hunting over the raw. A little bit, had some good times up in the hills. Not as much as I would like, but I did have a great time duck shooting with Mike Felton. Of course, if you go back a couple of episodes, you will hear that. And that was me and Mike Felton. Out at his my my, had a really good day duck shooting. And for me, not entirely new, but something I haven't done a lot of, to be honest. In fact, that was my first time duck shooting as an adult. Uh, so some time I suppose not that old but all the same had a great time and it's something I'd like to do a little bit more of coming up in a couple of weeks time or maybe next week depending on how the interviews fall we're going to have some great shows and it's myself and Mark Clinch he's going to be one of our regulars on the show along with Mike Felton trying out the gear and doing all sorts of stuff I haven't actually told this to Mike yet and I know he listens to every show uh, I kind of think we've discussed it Look, Mark and I are going to try and do the ultimate day. We're going to start off with deer stalking. We're going to go on to do some fishing, probably do some duck shooting in the afternoon, and end it all with a steak. I feel like the steak is the ultimate ending to that day. We're just planning it now, so hopefully we can pull that off in the next couple of weeks. I hope you've checked out NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine. Best roar in 17 years, Shades of Seeker, there's a jaw study result, hunting on the edge, winter is coming, and mine just arrived in the mail, and I always like getting the NZ Outdoor Hunting magazine. You know, it's, it's, it's a real privilege to read. It's well set out. The book is superb, and I would like to congratulate David, Deborah, and all those guys over there at NZ Outdoor Hunting magazine for the great job that they do. They really do a great job putting that magazine together and I thoroughly enjoy reading it. It did only arrive in the mail a day or so ago and I would like to say I haven't read all of it yet but I'm going to get to it. But please go down, find yourself one of those or check out their website. Order yourself a subscription to NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine. Great, great magazine. So guys, thank you very much. And if you'd like to win that great prize, I've said great a lot, haven't <laughs> If you'd like to win that superb prize of a year subscription to NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine, all you've got to do is be active with the show. Share us, like us, be involved, comment, and it could be you. And unfortunately, and it's something I have to point out, it's only available to New Zealand residents at this stage. Some of our competitions are certainly available internationally. This one, unfortunately, is not. But we do care about you, particularly our Australian listeners, and we know that is a growing audience for us. I'm going to have to figure out something I can do for those great Aussie brethren that we have listening to our show and often very envious of the hunting that we get to do here in New Zealand. This week's interview is with the creator of The Bloke. Not only is The Bloke a website, it's also a Facebook. So joined by telephone, I have Kerry Adams. Kerry, how are you going, man? Very good, mate. Very good. Now, now, before we get carried away, Kerry, you've got a little bit of radio experience as well, which is always nice to hear. means our interview hopefully is going to flow. Just, I'm, I'm looking, I'm going to judge you on this interview, Kerry. I hope you realise that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sort of used to being at the other end of it, really. So, um, and, okay, we'll see how I go oh, with the interviewee. Well, isn't it funny? I, I interviewed a podcast host from the States, well, 
the other week. And actually, I played it back as an interview I did. Sorry, I've got that around the wrong way. He interviewed me for his podcast in the United States, and within about 45, 50 seconds of that interview, I turned it into me interviewing him somehow. I don't know how I did it. Uh, no, I, I heard that one, and I did notice that. I was like, oh, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> flip that sucker all over, eh? <laughs> yep, yeah. So, Kerry, first of all, how did the bloke get started? It's a, it's a great Facebook page, and it's an, it's an awesome website, but it has got a backstory, hasn't it? Yeah, it does. And I, um, the, the bloke is basically me documenting uh, what I learn and what I discover. Um, previous to that, in, in sort of another lifetime, I was an um, electronica producer, essentially a techno DJ, so I'd be spending all my nights in the middle of a, a dark club. And somewhere in my life, uh, I just decided um, it was time for a bit of a change. And up to that point, I'd been running a website that was all about music production, and I was doing regular interviews with um, local producers um, and bits and pieces like that. And I sort of realized what I was doing was changing, and as a result, the website, which was just a reflection of what I was up to, also changed. And at some point, I realized I, I wasn't interested in being in dark clubs anymore. I was interested in getting out um, back into the bush. And... That's sort of where the bloke uh, started from, um, really as a result of me just uh, writing down what I was learning as another way for me to remember what it was that I was learning and share it with others. How do you go from that? You know, we're all wanting to get our kids out into the hills. Um, and obviously you've gone through that transition from being in, in dark clubs, and I know exactly the lifestyle that you guys, you know, you're, you're working at night, you're DJing yep. at night. Uh, having you know been there, done a little bit of that sort of stuff. How do you go from that to just wanting to be out in the hills and wanting to be outdoors? Well, I think as a um, like as a kid, my father took me out tramping a bit, and we spent a bit of time um, out and about. And I was, uh, I'm sort of my background. I'm the first generation sort of of my family that came off the farms. My father went from working, uh, sorry, from school to working at a dairy farm. And my mother grew up on a farm, and we spent, uh, my brother and myself as kids, a little bit of time on a farm uh, down in Pukekohe. And um, even growing up, even though we were sort of living in pretty urban situation, I always enjoyed heading down to the park and, and finding those on the edges of the park. There was always a bit of bush that you could have sort of kick around and explore. And, and that always stuck with me. And... I think the other thing is as well, is even when I was uh, DJing and involved in that scene, I wasn't, um, I was never really a heavy drinker and I was never really uh, into some of the other things that go along <laughs> with that thing. Those things, um, yeah, like like lemonade and Panadol. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like copious amount of drugs basically. And, <laughs> yeah. and as a result, um, I was working as a sound guy and observing people in some pretty messed up states. And at some point I realised, nah, that's just not, it's not that particularly healthy for me. It's all right to go and visit now and then, but doing it every weekend was a bit, you know, rough. And I, the interesting tie-in for me is, I guess I'm a, I'm a sound person. I used to, I was a sound engineer and a mastering engineer. And I realised that I was enjoying, um, it was the sound of things. I was, as silly as this might sound, I just wanted to hear the sound of nature and of birds and of getting away from all the electronic stuff for a while. Um, so I got back into uh, tramping, really, and, and heading out in the bush quite often by myself. And I'd, I'd quite happily just go walk into the bush for quite a few hours and just set up camp and uh, all but 
sit there and just listen and, and do nothing. Um, I, I don't know if it wasn't a particular thing or a incident that made me do that and get back out. It was just sort of a progression as, a, as I guess I got a bit older. Did, did you find now, though, or, or at that time, it was something that you almost craved? You went from... And I, I find this myself, and, and it might be different for us, but I, I live and work and breathe, particularly when I was in radio full-time, around computers, microphones, sound, music, um, that lifestyle as well, um, advertising and repping and sales. Uh, and my life's changed a little bit recently, but it, certainly in that, I used to crave that that sort of yin and yang, that exact opposite and getting out into the hills and getting away from that rat race and it actually inspired me to do more not took me away from it Yep, yep, totally and it, it like you say, it's a balancing as well um, yeah, I mean you, you get to the point where for me, I, I would sit in uh, a room like, like yourself, surrounded by a lot of electronic gear and there is just something sort of uh, I guess I, I wanted a bit of that silence even though the, anyone who spends any time in the bush realises <laughs> it isn't silent by it's, any means. It's bloody whatsoever. noisy in the hills, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. and it, But it's a wonderful noise, I, mm. I think. Um, and it's a different noise from the, the you know vehicles and, and people and all the other bits and pieces. And it's so out um, of control, too. As someone that's into sound, when I record in the, in the hills, I find that really difficult because you've got all these sounds <laughs> around you and you want a bit of ambience and, and other noises, but it's just yep. completely out of your control. You've just got to flow with it, don't you? And you probably don't realise until you play it back and it's all caught on a microphone yep. and you realise how loud it actually is <laughs> yeah. compared to people in it. We're, we're actually sometimes the quietest part of things going on. Mm. So, so that was a big part of it. And... And for me, the the hunting aspect of it um, kind of grew, uh, partly heading out. I was doing, um, one of my first passions before I got into the sound was photography as well. And I had a desire to go out and do more uh, wilderness photography and um, animals as well, you know, get more photos of, of the animals out there. And... Part of me getting into hunting was realising that learning how to uh, stalk, learning how to understand how animals uh, behave was going to mean I was going to get some better photographs. Mm. Um, and, I mean, the other, the other aspect for me was um, it, uh, I wrote an article recently on the bloke where I basically finally finally called myself a hipster hunter. Um, oh, have you got a beard? And, oh, yeah. yeah. Is it serious? Um, Is it a serious beard? Uh, well, as an aside, I run New Zealand's biggest beard club. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, uh, might as well plug it. The New Zealand Beard <laughs> Appreciation Society, uh, yeah. which I started as a joke and, yeah, um, grew a lot faster than I ever expected. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, I am I am the, the bearded urbanite Aucklander who decided that he wanted to understand where his uh, meat and food basically came from a little yeah. bit better and had uh, wanted a little bit more of a connection uh, back with that process, um, and I kind of figured I'm a meat eater, so at some point I I um, had to go uh, kill essentially um, and go through that process. Are you saying for you, and this is this is sidetracking somewhat, that eating wild meat is a is a moral choice for you as well? Yeah, it's. I'm not at the point where I'll only eat stuff that I've killed myself, and I, I don't think I'll ever do that. I still live in the middle of a big city. Um, and it's maybe, you know, there's, there's that goal in the back of my head one day to be a bit more self-sufficient. Um, 
but yes, it was a big part of it was moral. It's like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna eat life, basically, I think morally I should also accept that I'm taking life to do that and um, be willing to do it too. Yeah, and I didn't know until I pulled the trigger the first time whether I was going to be able to. I had a real, you know, question in the back of my head: Am I going to be able to do this? And several of them are my uh, good friends. Um, were like, "No, nah, don't don't think you're going to be able to." And you know, I wanted to answer that. Um, That's a, hang on, I, I want to touch on that a little bit further. See, for me, it was you know, when as a kid, I was shot rabbits and you know, possums and then went on to deer and goats and bits and pieces. Yep. For you, you know, that first time you pulled the trigger, were you saying you did that as an adult? Yep, yep. yep. First, uh, I mean, I've, I've fished, uh, um, and I've probably shot a possum or two uh, as a kid. Um, but, yeah, no, it wasn't until oh, a couple of years ago when I basically lined up a deer and pulled the trigger uh, and then went through the process of, um, you know, skinning, gutting it, and the, the whole thing. Did for you, did it change the way you look at meat? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, and I, that's the thing. I mean, I, I guess this is my difference now is that I've come from an urban background, mm. uh, and for a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of kids, even a lot of grown-ups, guys I know, uh, meat comes from the supermarket in a styrofoam packaging, um, and there's this massive disconnect between that and, um, yeah, uh, in the animal it comes from. Um, that, you know, I mean, I'm not hunting, hunting and farming are still quite different things, and, yeah. you know, a beef animal is different from a, a deer as well, but, um, yeah, there is a connection there still. And you, you are right. For me, I think I have a different appreciation for, for what what that food means to me. And it's not that I disrespect the animal by shooting it. It's that I fully take on that I am a, you know, we're predator, we're eyes forward, I am a meat eater. And I yeah. personally feel that I need to be prepared to, to do that myself. And like you, I still buy meat from the supermarket occasionally, and I'm very lucky to be only, I don't know, 25 feet away from where my, my large freezer is full of venison and it <laughs> yeah. gets eaten, and I, I do find that. What are your thoughts on trophy hunting? Because I've got some unusual ones. Uh, but well, I don't know if I don't know if all that unusual. I think maybe if it's like me, they're just not as spoken about as as often. Um, I'm not I'm not a trophy hunter. I could care less about um, the size of the head of the animal that I shoot. Um, you, if anyone, I don't know if they will have noticed, but there's probably never really, well, maybe once or twice, but there's very few photos. Uh, brag photos or trophy photos of animals on the bloke's Facebook or on my site. Um, it would probably be a lot easier and I'd have a lot more likes on the page if I just turned it into a stream of trophy shots. Yeah, because old hunting I, porn, eh? Yeah, and I, I understand the appeal and I understand why people do that. Um, but then from trophy hunting, you start getting into the realms of Things like buck fever uh, and guys and ego. I disagree. Mm. I, I, yeah. I tell you why I disagree. I believe yeah, sure. that if uh, and and I used to have an almost identical opinion to yours, and it's it's swaying, and I'm actually swaying more towards trophy hunting. And and the reason being is not because I disagree with. Uh, well, I do disagree. Sorry, with not taking out as much meat as humanly possible. I think that you not you sure. know you, you shouldn't disrespect that animal by leaving anything that you can't carry out behind. But 
if we were trophy hunting, if we were tagged or balloted and we were given the right to kill our, or to take the lives of two animals, right? And yep. the, the goal was to trophy hunt. What would you be doing when you were looking through that scope? You would be identifying your target. You would be focused on how many points there were, how big an animal was, because you ain't going to take the first manky deer that you see wandering past. And I think it does the opposite. I think it takes away buck fever. And I think, well, potentially could take away buck fever. I want to be challenged on this, and I'm going to get hate mail. <laughs> but I've, this is something, because Canada, for example, has very little problems with hunters getting shot. And part of yep. that is, is they are seriously not going to shoot the first thing they see because they want to get a goodie. And I, I wonder, it's just just something I'm starting to develop. My brain has, has gone into overdrive. Mental fart, basically. But what do you think about that as an idea? No, no, I, I, um, I agree with you on that, and I think Ooh, the difference—the yes. <laughs> difference being—is that you're right because it will force people to identify what it is they're shooting and to mm. think about what they're shooting. Um, but that's a—it's a different kind or a different form of trophy hunting from what we have trophy hunting in New Zealand, where guys are just hunting for the biggest, baddest animal they can get. Mm. Because there isn't, if they do, uh, yeah, you, you're not limited to that one or two, and you don't have someone, you know, um, uh, metaphorically looking over your shoulder going, well, what what are you actually shooting? Um, and I agree, overseas where they're balloted, you've, oh, well, not balloted, but where they're, you've got your tags, mm. guys do seem to pay a bit more attention and, and go, yeah, what am I shooting? Is this really the one I want to shoot? Um, and, and I think also there's, there's, there's a trophy. There's a guys who hunt. I'm just trying to think the right words to say this because it's. Um, I listen to some uh, shows and podcasts online with guys who are trophy hunters overseas, but they're still also hunting um, for the best trophy experience. I think is what yeah, it is. Yeah, you're quite right. Um, so they will leave animals, but they uh, you know it might be the third or fourth animal that they see they actually shoot. Mm. Um, See, where the dichotomy comes for me is I believe that New Zealanders inherently have the right to go in the hills and feed their family. Um, oh, yes, yeah. So, so I don't, please, <laughs> I know that I'm going to get all sorts of emails about that, and I love it when you guys email me, so I'm not discouraging it. <laughs> but I suppose I'm, this is still a, a, a thought in progress is the best way to describe it. Now, I want, I want to head back to the bloke and, yep. and what that is. What's some of the most interesting stories you've posted on the bloke, particularly on the website and or maybe on the Facebook page as well. Sorry, most interesting. Interesting, yeah. And try and try and keep it with hunting. I know there's all sorts of other stories and articles and bits and pieces on there. But for you, what have been some of the most uh, interesting well, or profound articles? Um, <laughs> this is where I talk myself up, eh? Um, <laughs> I, I guess my, just as a quick aside, my background, I've involved um, uh, work and through other members of my family quite a bit in health and safety. So a lot of my articles and a lot of the information I have on my site leans towards that. Um, so, I mean, some of the, the more interesting articles I've, I've kind of researched and written was uh, there was one I did on uh, blaze camo, uh, which was regarding sort of the orange and the blue blaze and how to DSC and can DSC it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, again, like so many things, there's, there's two sides to look at it because ultimately I don't care if someone, I think it's good if someone is wearing orange or blue or pink or whatever it is um, just to make themselves a little bit uh, easier seen. And I, 
I, I mean this from, um, like, if I go out, I've been out hunting with other guys, and I really prefer my hunting partner to have blaze on because it makes it so much easier to see even if he's five, ten metres ahead of you. And if you never lose track of where he is, then, well, you always know where he is. And, and blaze certainly helps with that. Um, the the theory and the science would, would tend to indicate that a deer is going to see UV, uh, so probably any new clothing before you wash it, it probably all stands out, and blue, they're, they're quite um, receptive to blue. But I also then point out to people that for most of us, um, our camo is not what makes the difference when the deer goes running away. It's because they've hurt us, it's because they've smelt us, and it's because they've known us long before they needed to see us. And, I mean, the old deer hunters used to give away loose swan dries and all manner of stuff. They didn't have camo from head to toe, and they still got plenty of deer. So, you know, there's, with a lot of things on the bloke, there's, uh, I get into a lot of the theoretical stuff, um, <laughs> yeah. and which I enjoy, and that's my nature, so I'm always going to do that. Um, but like I say, uh, I encourage guys to wear blaze. I also know uh, statistically um, there's been more than one person shot in blaze, um, uh, but it's still, to me, best practice. But, yeah, researching that article was interesting. And then another one I did recently, which tied into my photography, is somebody said to me, oh, well, you know, um, blaze orange, uh, when the when the sun hits the right angle, then the whole of the everything turns blaze orange. And it's for a photographer, it's known as the golden hour, really. It's just that bit before the sun goes below the horizon. What people don't know is just after that, there's uh, the blue hour, which is when the sun's below the horizon and everything turns blue. And um, our human eyes are pretty good at uh, translating that, so we don't notice a massive colour shift, but it basically means that around, well, exactly the time we're hunting, both orange and blue, in some ways you could say, are actually also terrible colours to be wearing. Mm. Uh, the more you research, the more it starts contradicting itself. That's the crazy thing. And and that's actually why I haven't touched that issue too much because I've done a mm. bit of research myself. And and I'm not going to go into it in this particular show, but you are completely sure. right. It actually does get to the point where you're going, hang on, this paper says this and this paper says this. And the official yeah. line from New Zealand Mountain Safety Council, of course, contrasts with the environment. And I and at this stage, yeah. obviously, I'm going to have to agree with our lovely Nicole McKee, because she uh, she's a she's an awesome chick and and got our best interest at heart and and actually probably nine times out of ten she's right. Would you say? Uh, yeah, it's like like any um, health and safety. Uh, the term's not industry, but I'm sure you get what I mean. Mm. There's always a best practice that is what needs to be recommended, um, but ultimately it, it, it's not mandatory in New Zealand yet. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be overly surprised if it actually became um, mandatory to have blaze, like they do have places over in the States. Mm. Um, and that's why you see on oh, Under Armour, you'll see Under Armour camo with a blaze shoulder, for example, on it, uh, for that yep. very reason, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, this is the thing. No one, no one is ever going to argue about anything that we can do to make us safer out there. Um, the danger is, is there's many things. If it's a knee-jerk reaction, then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, Kerry, you, you said to me, you said an interesting comment to me when we were messaging backwards and forwards that you feel, I don't know, you, I'm not going to get this right, so this isn't a direct quote, but you think you've probably pissed a few people off as well. Um, tell me yeah. about that. What, what, is that just because of your stance on things? Or uh, like me, do you just get some hate mail occasionally? <laughs> no, I, I think, 
I think the thing is, is my the big one is, is my background is a bit different. I am, um, I have an urban background, so my opinion on certain things may be slightly different to a born, born and bred hunter. Um, you know, recently, and one, I guess one key one for me has been, and, and the problem is, is that um, no matter what I say, it's going to get taken out of context. But I'm just learning that that's just the case anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> one good. It wasn't quite an argument, although I, I did get called uh, Jaffa and a couple of other, you know, things, was uh, the about the, the topic of behind-the-wire hunting or or canned hunting or all these other terms that, that people love to throw around for it. And um, up here in Auckland, we obviously I've got to travel sort of four hours to go anywhere public with any deer. Mm. Um but I've been, and I consider myself lucky enough to, uh, when I went and did the hunts course to the deer stalkers, yep. uh, as I was getting into hunting, I was like, well, I want to, I want to learn. And I don't, I didn't have a father who was a hunter or a grandfather or any family that really hunters. So I didn't have many people, uh, friend-wise, I could turn around to and go, right, I want to learn how to hunt, take me out. So the hunts course became a logical uh, choice for that. I could go to the deer stalkers. We went out. I. My background in the Mountain Safety Council and a bit of um, land so I mean, my navigation skills and first aid and bits and pieces like that were up. But um, those guys, part of what we did is we went up to a um, hunting block up here in Auckland, uh, Balnagown Hunting, uh, which is run by a guy called Rickford. And he basically has, uh, the front of it is essentially a deer farm, the back of it is a, um, uh, well, there are fences there, um, area where you can go hunting. And um, we went up there a few times, and Richard went through um, the hunt, uh, and then he went through how to process a deer. And the whole time, he was basically uh, in the air with safety information and good hunting tips. Um, he started the place because he lost a friend hunting um, in a public block. It was killed. So he wanted to create a place that was a bit safer for guys to hunt locally and could learn. And... I think what happened, I talked about that, and it got taken completely out of context, is that it was canned hunt, and uh, apparently none of that had any um, any uh, any of the skills I learned there had no validity in the bush, um, and all these other bits and pieces. And I, I, I guess I try and differentiate between a guy who comes and pays 10 grand to shoot a genetically um, mutated stag with 102 points that's just been let out of a uh, paddock uh, and then takes photos and, and goes back overseas with it. And a place that you can go uh, and learn about hunting if you don't have those people around you to teach you. Um, uh, see, I, I had that interview recently with the guys from Stag Point, and they made a really yeah. good point. Bad radio, but anyway, they made <laughs> yeah, they made a really good point, and that was that then that you get the chance to observe and understand and learn without the pressure. And the flip side yep. of that, and I'm again, you can email me if you like. I don't give a shit if people come to New Zealand and they want to spend serious money to go on a guided hunt, whether that's canned hunting or in the wild, because it helps our economy and it's an industry that can only make our craft and our sport better in the long run. That's my opinion. Yep. Um, and uh, this is the thing. I think anything you can do to encourage to get a non-hunter or someone who doesn't understand hunting may be involved uh, is a good thing. Um, and also there's a lot of guys I would pick like myself who um, aren't 
second or third generation hunters and not, I'm not quite sure how to get into it. And if it wasn't for that, I potentially would have gone out by myself, shot a deer in the gut, uh, not knowing really how to process it, made an absolute mess of it, yeah. probably traumatised myself in the process because I just... <laughs> You know, morally, I've just damaged this animal and and messed it all up and probably never would have gone hunting again. So, yeah, each to their own. And and I won't argue that um, a public stalk where you've got to spend three days tracking down that animal is a a very mighty thing. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I've had the opportunity to just go out and observe deer. I I don't see deer and instantly feel the need to shoot it anymore, which I think is a good thing. Um, so I can be a bit more picky about what I'm doing. And, and yeah, I, so I, I guess it's things like that. But it, it's mainly because I've got quite a different background to a lot of what the, the main hunting, I guess, or the vocal hunting fraternity would be. And I think um, I think I can relate to that, Kerry. You know, I look at myself, mm. and I, although I've been around it and, and, and growing up a little bit with it, I'm not a the the great white hunter or by by any means, but what I am really yep. good at is using this craft, which is facilitating a good story, to to help hunters get into it, to also encourage existing hunters to give those expats yep. and overseas hunters a taste of what we have here in New Zealand. I, I, I can relate to it, maybe not quite to the same extent, but I don't ever fess to being the the expert, but I am trying to give other experts and other people in their fields the chance to, to have their say and to tell their story. And I suppose the bloke is trying to do that as well, isn't it? Yeah, and it's uh, the funny thing is, is that whenever you read about somebody, a hunter who's, uh, uh, we won't go about the guys who are actually shot, the guys who are lost or guys mm. who get you know injured or stuff in the bush, they're always experienced hunters who have been doing it for a long time. So I sort of think it's, you know, uh, I haven't actually heard of a Aucklander who knew nothing who got lost in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, right. But, but, no, I have. Oh, you know, I've been involved with finding them. So, no, they they do occasionally. <laughs> oh, they do. I'm sure they do. But, but that's what I, I think, um, you know, I, I think even the, that term experienced or I was brought up and my father taught me the right way to hunt doesn't, necessarily mean it's the best way and doesn't necessarily mean that um, you're not going to get lost or do something stupid out there. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think we're all we're all learning and, and like you said, I mean, if, for me, is I share what I can learn on the bloke and if someone picks up a little bit of information on that, then bonus. Mm. But uh, I wouldn't claim to be an expert. I'm not. I've only been doing it for a couple of years and, um, you know, it's when you, when you said you're keen to interview me, I'm like, well, I, compared to a lot of the other guys that have been on your show, I'm, I feel way underqualified. But you've got a story to tell. And, and I suppose that's what I'm trying to get across. Uh, is, yep. Yes, you, you've, you've only been hunting for a couple of years. You've created this great thing in the bloke, and it's something I follow, certainly on Facebook. I love reading some of the articles, and some of, obviously there's nothing to do with hunting. Um, but I, I'm there to tell your story too, and not every hunter yep. out there is an experienced hunter. And some people, there's lots of people in your exact position that do want to hear the voice and want to hear that there is a way through because hunting I think uh, can seem a little bit daunting it can almost be like I've said it before that secret three knocks to get in and if you don't know the password yep. no one knows what you're talking about yep. uh, yeah I, I, that that's kind of where I'm coming from yep and agreed and I know it is and I know that because guys will contact me privately um, through emails and messages and basically say hey appreciate it we are learning heaps 
and also I found that going on to websites and forums and stuff, it's, it's, I don't think it's intentionally a, um, a closed circle, but I think a big part of it is is often a lot of the established groups of hunters are of a different background, mm. so they get a little clicky because of that. And I, I can un- again, I can understand why that is. So when a when a Aucklander basically comes in and goes, "Hey, I'm, I'm want to do this, I want to do this," then I can I understand why there's that resistance there. I also think it's a shame because we can learn lots off each other. I mean, that's, yeah. those different perspectives mean we're learning. We can we can teach different parts of it. So. Yeah, no, you, you've 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 hit on a on a fairly tricky note. I've I've always been criticised for not taking part in the forums, so I've taken part in the forums, and then I've been criticised for taking part in the forums and trying to push my show. And I kind of yep. wasn't doing either, really. I was just keeping an eye on them. So now I kind of watch them by remote. I keep an eye on what people are saying about the show. I don't really take too much notice of it unless it's valid honest and constructive um and most of it's actually pretty positive there's the odd person that decides they're going to get a bit uh, negative on what i do but whatever good on them they don't have to listen i'm not jamming my show down their throat nor are you jamming your website down anyone's throat are you it's 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 all about it's kind of it's participation by choice isn't it yeah and i mean like i said to you earlier i i really uh I actually kind of suck at self-promotion. I'm really, um, I've always been very hesitant to uh, talk myself up or talk up uh, projects and stuff I've been involved in. I mean, my, and it, unfortunately it doesn't always work this way, but my dream was always to create a website so chocker full of useful information that people would just find it and and, and use it and read it. Um but the problem is, and sometimes I'm aware of it, I have a website full of quite good, useful information that, a lot of people don't know about. <laughs> and hopefully the show can help with that. Yeah, so how do yeah. they find it? If they want to find the bloke, they want to find the website, it's on Facebook, where do they go? What do they search yeah. for? Well, the, the easiest way is to just pop over to thebloke.co.nz uh, and then uh, do a search on Facebook for the bloke as well. Um, the main website has got all the, the articles on there. Um, because I've been sort of focusing on shooting and hunting in the last couple of years, that's at the moment been predominantly what's up there. Um, but there's also just general um, blokey stuff, you know. I, I had a I had a Harley for a while, so there's heaps of Harley stuff up there. Yeah. Uh, but that sounds on, and it, you know, so it's always going to be whatever it is that I'm doing at the time. Yeah, that's great. Now, before you go, Kerry, you, you must have a good mm. hunting story for us. I haven't asked the last couple of interviews for this, and people have complained. So, come on, Kerry, give us a good hunting story. Well, I, I, I thought long and hard about this when you asked me, and I guess it's, it sort of goes back. It, it's a different hunting story, and I, I guess it's, you know, the first basically the first uh, deer that I shot was up at Balnagown Hunting. And I thought long and hard about it and thought, uh, do I go out into uh, Kaimanawas and, and hunt a uh, seeker for, for my first animal, uh, which I tried to do previously and spent two days in finding nothing. But um, I, I basically went up to um, down the ground, spent a couple of days up there over the war. So I got to hear um, like 360-degree war. It was, it was phenomenal. Um, if anyone ever wants to get a hunting bug, that's a really good way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I went out with uh, Richard and we walked around the, the, his area for um, a couple of hours and finally came onto an animal and he settled me down and he talked me through the whole process. And what was interesting, like I said at the beginning of the show, I was never sure whether I was going to be able to pull that trigger and what was actually going to happen. 
And I think what has been good is because of my health training and because of uh, having Richard there to go me through, it was a very um, methodical process, and I nailed it straight in the shoulder and it dropped head straight away. And it was a very um, uh, easy introduction into hunting. Right. And I knew from that point that, yes, I was going to be able to do this, and yes, I was going to do it more, and yes, it was going to get slightly addictive. <laughs> um, yeah. And it has, and that's, you know, now I'm as much about the technique and making sure that I do things the best way and the most humanely way I can, um, and all of that was thanks to what some people would criticise as behind-the-wire hunting. Mm. Well, well, Kerry, look, I'd like to thank you heaps for coming on the show and for all the great work that you do on the bloke. It really has become a... Um a bit of a go-to Facebook page and website for me, and and I'm going to put links to the show in the in the information section below the podcast. So if you're on iTunes, of course, just push that plus button, I think it is, and you'll find a link to the website and the Facebook page. And Kerry, look, keep up the good work, and let's catch up in a little while and, and talk about how things are going again, eh? Yeah, please do. I need to, I'm meeting and talking to people all over the country. I'm going to have to do like a road show. The bloke goes down country or something. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll head into the hills, eh, and go for a look. Yeah, most definitely. All right, Kerry. All right, mate. Thanks very much. That's us. Another week of The Hunting Show. Thank you for joining me. Be safe out there, and good hunting. Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him and the guy who told him about it and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics.